Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. What does it mean to be a Christian? Does it mean to do Christian things? You come to a regular church service, maybe you go to a Christian school, you read your Bible, you attend a Bible study, you're involved in charities or in helping the homeless or in short-term mission trips or in supporting missionaries. Is that, which we can rightly call Christian, but is that the essence of what it means to be a Christian? No. No, because of these words from Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 7, referring to the final day when we must all stand before him for judgment. Jesus said, on that day, many, not a few, but many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name and do many mighty works in your name? So, Doing Christian things. Jesus says that he will say to them, go away, I I never knew you. So, what is it to be Christian at its heart? It's not just to do Christian things. To be a Christian, is it to believe Christian things? You know the famous passage in James, where James says, you believe that God is one, you do well. So you know the Trinity, you believe it, one God, three persons, you believe that? You do well, and James adds, the demons also believe. Are the demons Christians? Certainly not. Is the very essence of being a Christian to believe Christian things? It involves that. Don't get me wrong. But is it to know Christian doctrines and to agree with them? Is that the essence of it? If it were, then the demons would be at church this morning, I suppose, as Christians with us, and they're not. What does it mean to be a Christian? It's like the most basic question, but you have to really think about it. To be a Christian is given, really, in its essence, by Jesus himself in John 17 when he's praying to the Father before his death. And he defines it this way. He says, this is eternal life. That's Christianity. Eternal life. That's what we're all about. This is eternal life. That they, Christians, may know you, that's God, the Father, and your Son, whom you have sent. To be a Christian is to know, not only God, but it's to know Jesus Christ. That is the essence of what it means to be a Christian more than anything else. Christians do Christian things, of course. And Christians believe Christian things. You have to. But you can do Christian things and believe Christian things and not be a true Christian in whom there is no deceit, who will stand boldly on the day of judgment. The true Christian knows 
Christ. And there is no way for a person to know Christ and not be a true Christian. So at the end of the day, that is the ultimate question for you. Do you know Christ? Everything hinges on this question and only this question. Do you know Christ parallel to the way that two best friends know each other? They know about each other, but it's more than that because they also know about celebrities and they're not friends with these celebrities. The friends whose souls are knit together, they know the other person on a personal level. That's what we mean to know Christ personally. Do you know him that way? Like two best friends. Do you know Christ in the way that a loving husband knows his adoring wife and the two of them know each other, not just about each other, but they know each other. Do you know Christ like that? If you do, you're a Christian. If you don't, you're not a Christian. This is eternal life, that they may know the Father and know the Son, Jesus Christ. That, nothing other than that, nothing less than that, is the essence of Christianity. It's the essence of eternal life. Do you know Christ personally? Now, if you doubt what I'm arguing right here, which you're, it's fine if you do, I will just step aside now as we turn to the text because this is what Paul himself is going to be arguing for us, directing your attention, just like the Philippians 2,000 years ago, to this one essential superior focus of the Christian life, this that is everything and for which Paul will say everything else is nothing. This is it. Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So let's see him say that in the text. This is Philippians chapter 3. He's continuing to argue against Judaizers that we saw last week, and we'll return to them, who are focused on circumcision, the law of Moses, and lots of things you do. But Paul is contrasting himself, and here is what he says, beginning in verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What was Paul's one passion in life? Why did the Apostle Paul, a real human, just like us, sometimes we forget, why did he spend his life 2,000 years ago traveling, really wandering about the Mediterranean world, five times receiving 39 cruel lashes across his back, 
three times being beaten mercilessly with rods, one time being stoned and left for dead, three times being shipwrecked and left at sea. Why did he leave his home? Why did he wander the Mediterranean with an offensive message for which he finally had his head cut off? Why? That is a lot to do for any goal you may have. Why? To know Christ. Everything for Paul is about knowing Christ. Did Paul do a lot of Christian things? Certainly did. We're reading the letter he wrote. But for him, that's not what the essence was. The essence was to know Christ. It's because he knew Christ and it's because he wanted to know Christ more and more deeply. That's all that his life was. If you could summarize it, you are in school, you get the assignments to take some long passage and you have to summarize it in a paragraph or sometimes in a sentence. It's a difficult task. But if you could take Paul's whole life, this sort of ideal set before us, and summarize it down into a sentence, even into a phrase, it's to know Christ. That's what he's saying in this passage. The Judaizers, we saw them last week, and this whole chapter is his argument against them. They were urging the Philippians to know the law, the law of Moses, which included things like circumcision and dietary restrictions and washings and traditions that came with it. They wanted the Philippians to know the law and to keep the law. And Paul came in and pushes it all off the table and says, I want you to know Christ. I don't care about that. I want you to know Christ. We're going to follow Paul this morning in his argument because even though Paul is technically presenting his, himself to us, this is how he thinks and how he lives, it's really part of an argument. He's not just telling you because you're curious. He's telling you because you need to have the same mindset. This is the mindset of a Christian. The way Paul thinks, you have to think. Paul values knowing Christ most, you have to do the same thing. So along these lines, we're going to follow the text and break it into two parts. The first in verse 8 is Paul will tell us the value or the worth of knowing Christ. And then the rest of the verses will simply tell you the nature of knowing Christ. What does it even mean? mean to know Christ. So you need to know the value of it. That's first. And then you're going to see what it actually is. So beginning here in our text, we're going to look at the worth of knowing Christ. And you have to remember that last week or the verse seven, Paul had just spoken in the previous passage about his own good Jewishness how he was a very strict Pharisee, very faithful to the law, circumcised the eighth day and born of the people of Israel and very strict in his adherence to the Mosaic law. So if anyone's going to be right with God by keeping the law, it's him. And he told us in verse 7, whatever gain I had, whatever I thought of benefit in making me right with God as a good Jew, I counted all of it as loss for the sake of Christ. But now he intensifies what he's saying. You see that in this passage, he goes further, starting in verse 8. Indeed, he says, which is another way of saying really, that's true what I just said, but there's more. Indeed, 
I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Now, I'll admit that the way Paul uses the word loss, we talked about last week, it's a little difficult to pin down exactly. You could take it, we had said even last week, as simply meaning, I count it all as dead to me. I don't have it anymore. And that would make sense even in this text because he counts everything as loss. And he says, I have suffered the loss of all things. So is Paul just saying, I count everything as pretty much gone. I lost it. I don't think that's the essence of what he's saying here. Last week he said, all my religious observances I considered gain or benefit before God. And he contrasted that and said, but now I count them loss. Paul didn't lose his Jewishness. He was still very Jewish and technically still a Pharisee. He stopped persecuting the church, but beside that, everything was very similar there but he counted it now as loss. And I argued last week that by loss, he meant liability. His markers of being a good Jew, he thought were a benefit before God, but he realized they're actually a danger, a weight that would pull him down to hell because he trusted in them. Paul now is talking about loss again, and I think there's something similar here. So when he says, indeed, I count everything as loss, not just my Jewishness, but that plus everything else in my life, The things I possess, my prestige, my honor, house, family, everything. It's all loss in his mind. What Paul is saying is not just that he lost it, although he does say that, but that when he lost it, he didn't mind. Because to him, it wasn't just useless, it was, look what he says, rubbish, Pastors like to preach a lot about that word and all of the nuances of it. Just think garbage, okay? It could be dung, it could be trash, it could be any kind of refuse, but it's just garbage. We don't know what kind he's thinking of here. But no matter what kind it is, you want it to go away. (laughs) You're not crying when on Thursday morning for me, whenever it is for you, Trash truck comes and it takes your garbage and it pours it into the truck and away it goes. And you don't fall to your knees and weep for the great loss of the banana peels that had turned black. But instead you're okay with that. That's normal. Paul is saying not just his religious past but everything in his life. He thinks of it like the trash on the curb. A danger even, because you can hold on to it. Something that's not ultimately what his life is about. And so when he lost it all, which he says, converting to Christianity on his way to Damascus, Jesus shines a light upon him, and in Damascus he's converted. The scales fall off of his eyes physically and in his heart. Now he proclaims Christ, and he had to leave that city in a basket out the wall. Because from that moment on, all his kinsmen pretty much want him dead. He gave up his prestige. He gave up everything. He doesn't any longer have a stable place to stay. He will travel the rest of his short life and then die. And when Paul thinks about all he gave up so that he could know and serve Christ, he's telling you, listen, 
don't cry for me. I didn't give up anything. Crying for me because they took my trash away? I count everything as loss and I regard it all as rubbish. He's intensifying with that word indeed because last week he said, if you notice, he counted with a D at the end. In the past, he counted his gain as a good Jew as loss. But now he's intensifying because he's saying, I haven't changed my mind. I still count. I count right now. I regard not just my Jewish observances, but he intensifies it by saying literally everything. Everything is rubbish to me. Except knowing Christ. It's the one thing. Before we go more into that, you just have to ask yourself. Is there any conceivable circumstance, any universe you could imagine in which you, not only would you not have a mortgage payment because you wouldn't have a house, but you wouldn't have two cars, you wouldn't have one car, you'd have no cars, no house, you're homeless, you don't have a job, you don't have a retirement plan, you have zero dollars in your bank, you have no stable place to stay, Americans, most all of them want you to die and are trying to accomplish that. You don't have honor or prestige. You're hated. You're put in the news as a villain. Is there any universe you can imagine in which that happens to you and you say, ah, okay, <laughs> that's fine, that's okay. But that's what happened to Paul. Indeed, I, he says, I have suffered the loss of all things, and that's exactly what he's talking about. You may not suffer to that degree, but he's presenting himself as the example. If you do, can you say, well, it was rubbish. I mean, it was garbage. It's okay. Look, we don't want to lose everything just for the sake of losing everything. We're not weird like that. So you can go on liking when people approve of you. Don't like it too much, but great. That's a benefit. It's better than if they hate you. You can like your house. Maybe it's got a nice yard, and you like that. Paul's not saying count that yard as trash <laughs> in that way. You can like the yard. You can like a nice meal. In fact, Scripture says that God has created all things to be good, and it's all to be received with gratitude. So, good. Enjoy good things. That's fine if you do that. It's not that we should just look at everything in the world now and say it's all trash and be, you know, pessimistic and the guy nobody wants at the party. Don't be that. It's because of Christ. You see that in the text? He says it in every line to make sure you know. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Or indeed, I count everything as loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. If you take out those parts, then he's just saying, indeed, I think of everything as loss, and I regard everything as rubbish. <laughs> and that's not what he's saying. Some Christians are like that, and we shouldn't be. But he's saying when he compares it to that one passion he has, because that one glorious passion of knowing Christ is so great, is so rich, everything else gets drowned out. That's the way he thinks of it. So when he suffered the loss of all those things, 
it wasn't that big of a deal because he still had the essential thing he really wanted. This is the way he describes it in essence. He counts everything as lost because of the, quote, surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Surpassing what? Everything. <laughs> That's what he's saying. Everything is lost. So the worth of knowing Christ surpasses or is better than everything else. And this is the essence of Paul's life then. And this is the essence of Christianity. More than anything else, it is the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Nothing surpasses that. Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You can think of in your own life, you've probably experienced, known how many people in this world may come into a Christian community or make a profession of Christian faith. It seems like they know Christ, perhaps. And then maybe a boyfriend or a girlfriend who's not a believer shows up. They fall in love and slowly compromise and you have knowing Christ, living for Christ, but then your heart is drawn away by what? Something else. You're expecting to find more joy and satisfaction in this person than I can find in knowing Christ. And you should hopefully realize you can't have both. Is knowing Christ of surpassing worth to you, surpassing everything? How many people have started trying to know Christ? And then the deceitfulness of riches, that promotion at work that you wanted so bad, you get it? And it's a black hole that sucks all your time into it and you come to realize this is choking my relationship with Christ completely. And you have to make that choice. And many, many people choose with the rich young ruler to walk away from Jesus, head bowed, grieving, but walking away because they love the riches. They choose that as a surpassing worth over knowing Christ. And Paul says they are dead wrong. Or... Think of how many people in the face of persecution or public ridicule, when they realize that to really know Christ will cost them the approval of all the people they most value in this culture and world, everyone at school, all of the people who are popular, your whole community perhaps at some point, and how many have downplayed knowing Christ or forsaken it altogether so that they could have something else. Knowing Christ is a pearl of very great value that if you were to go and sell everything else so that you could know Christ, it'd be smart, not dumb. Knowing Christ, it's like a treasure hidden in a field and you find that treasure. You go and sell everything you have to buy the field so you can have the treasure and that would be smart and not dumb. If you lost everything and all you had left besides the clothes on your back all you had was that you knew Christ. Paul says, congratulations, you've made the right choice. You're living the good life. And those who have everything and live in palaces and enjoy the prestige that they have and are popular because they don't know Christ, they have lost everything. They have garbage. That's all that they have. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and it's just rubbish, so that I can gain Christ. 
We do have to remind ourselves of this, especially right now. You don't need me to tell you this. Of course, cultures shift and change, so it's really hard to predict where things will go, but, you know, if you're watching the trajectory. So public opinion has been shifting for a long time against Christianity and especially any sort of conservative or Bible-believing Christianity. So as opinion shifts away, you know this because you look in the news and you will find many examples of bad Christians, and many of them are genuine examples of bad Christians, so we're not denying that in many cases, but you notice that's what the news picks to present. So people read that, and there are very good Christians. Look at you. There you are. You're living good holy lives. You're not in the news. So our whole culture is coming to see Christianity as a sort of a poison that needs to be extracted. It's harmful because of its views on human sexuality and many other things. And that will keep developing, unless revival comes, pray for it, but that will keep developing and that's how persecution always works. Not just for Christians, but for anybody. You demonize the group and you exaggerate the bad parts, you minimize the good, and then they're evil and need to be removed or imprisoned or whatever you have. So look, here's a passage from God for you to help you. Has that made you feel afraid at all? Probably. Listen, you're not going to be ready for whatever's coming culturally, whatever kinds of persecution, unless you line your heart up with this text right here. Do you realize that if you really believed what Paul was saying right here, if you really looked at your possessions and your prestige and you could really honestly say, eh, eh, garbage, then when persecution heats up and you begin to lose prestige, even lose possessions, you would still have knowing Christ and you could say, no matter how bad the persecution got, even if it touched your flesh, even if it was your own death, you could still say, eh, I still know Christ. Wouldn't that be a wonderful attitude to have? How many fears would that free you from? We're not denying that there will be, with persecution, sorrows and griefs, especially as others suffer. We're not denying that. Paul knew that. Yet he can still say to suffer the loss of everything, it's okay. It's okay. Let me ask you, what form of persecution could ever happen in this country that would take away your knowing Christ? Nothing. Don't be afraid of those who kill the body. And Jesus says, after that, have nothing more they can do to you. <laughs> Just very counter what we would think. Nothing more. They did everything. No. Because everything is knowing Christ. May God give us this perspective. I know it doesn't always feel this way, but listen. Paul's perspective is the right one. And if yours isn't his, yours is wrong. I'm sorry. But his is the right one. He'd been up to the third heaven. He'd seen things that you can't describe, that you're not allowed to talk about. He saw Christ himself. And Paul says, in light of that, everything else is trash. And Paul's right. You and I, who haven't been to the third heaven, we're wrong when we think other things are more valuable or more important than that. What is the value of knowing Christ then? What is it? You can't quantify it. You can't put a number to it. It's more than if you had the combined wealth of Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. It's more than if you had all the gold reserves of the United States of Fort Knox. It's more than if you took the wealth of nations. If you had what the devil offered to Jesus, all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, 
you would have one billionth of the worth of Christ and much less than that. You can't even compare it. And here you and I are, we're just simple people. We're not in the news. That's probably good. We're just simple Christians living out our lives in little Evansville, Indiana. And you have something worth more than all of that. You know Christ. And compared to that, billions of dollars mean nothing. Dollars, pesos, yen, you name it. Euros, doesn't matter. That's nothing. That's nothing compared to what you have. So you may right now look at your bank account and feel <laughs> a little bit sad. Like you wish there was a little extra buffer on there. It's okay. At the end, even if you had all the buffer in the world, it's just garbage. Do you know Christ? If you know Christ, you've got everything you need and everything you'll ever need in this life, in the life to come. To Paul, that is the value of knowing Christ Jesus. So, Here's the value of knowing Christ. We need to shift now with the text as we move past verse 8. Because Paul is now going to compound an ongoing description of what, to him, it means to know Christ. You may think, knowing Christ sounds great, but what is that? Let's talk about that. What is now not the value of knowing Christ, but what is the nature of knowing Christ? What does it mean? Let's see how Paul describes it. He had actually already started describing it at the end of verse 8 when he talked about gaining Christ. That's another way of saying knowing Christ. He gained him. It's an amazing way to refer to it. Kind of like 1 John, no one who denies the Son has the Father. How can you have the Father? It's amazing. But So he gains Christ, okay? But let's move on from verse 8 because now he's going to give us lots more ways of re-saying what it means to know Christ. First, to know Christ is to know him in truth. Look at this in verse 9. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You're going to have to get comfortable with a double focus here. Some of us are not comfortable with that. We just want to say one thing real clear, done. But Paul has a double focus here all the way through the description. He has a focus on the present, knowing Christ now, suffering with Christ now, having Christ's righteousness now. But he's always also looking forward to the return of Christ, the judgment seat Knowing Christ then, he says he wants to be found in Christ. Well, he could be found in Christ right now, but also in his mind, be found by who? God. Be found when? Not just now, but at the day of judgment. That God would look at Paul and find him in Christ. Now, what does that mean? He tells you. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but a righteousness from God. He's not trying to get more saved, okay? It's not like Paul thinks he needs more justification. If you believe, you're justified. End of story. However, that just starts your journey in Christ. You know Christ now, but double focus. You're also knowing him more and more until you finally know him completely and see him as he is. So if the Christian life is about knowing Christ, you can't just Go pray a prayer at an altar call and say, I did it. 
As one pastor said, if you're not doing it, you never did it. It's not just that you came to know Christ, but you're knowing him over the course of your whole life more and more. That's the double focus here. You can see that in the way he talks. That he may be found in him. That, he says, to be found in Christ means this. To have your soul wrapped in the pure and spotless robe of Christ. His righteousness. I won't talk long about this because we talked about this last week. But he does say it here again. That there are really only two kinds of righteousness. And if you have one of those kinds of righteousness, you don't know Christ. You can't know Christ. The only two kinds of righteousness are your righteousness and God's righteousness. He says, knowing Christ is not having a righteousness that's mine, of my own. And it comes from the law, basically living a pretty good life, doing the right stuff. If that's the kind of righteousness you have this morning, then you don't know Christ. But he says, forget that, but having a righteousness, it comes from God. It's the righteousness of Christ that he earned by his perfect life. And I don't work for it. I believe and I get it. Remember that from last week? I think our takeaway from this when it comes to knowing Christ is that you can't know Christ unless you know him in truth. Notice that verse right there, you and I probably wouldn't have put it there because it's a point of doctrine. We're seeing Paul crescendo. This is getting exciting. He's getting passionate here about knowing Christ. And then he pauses to tell you justification by faith alone <laughs> and some of you love that and some of you go oh, okay it's getting some big words here but Paul is adamant you can't know Christ unless you know him in truth you have to know that the way of salvation is not by your works it is by faith in Christ so knowing Christ is something you do in truth it's important to say this because sometimes in our mind you think of two groups of people in the world there are those who know Jesus, and you can see it in their life. And then there are those who know doctrine. And they're the boring, angry people. But those who know Jesus are really alive and excited, but bring up justification by faith, they're not interested. You know, go over to them. No, 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 no. Bring those together. To know Christ is not different from knowing good doctrine. In fact, Paul is saying, if you don't believe at least this point of doctrine, you can't know Christ. Keep growing in your knowledge, in doctrine, but it's part of a living relationship with Christ. So we know him in truth, so must you, but we talked about that last week. So let's move to the next verse here. This is the most surprising part. What is it to know Christ? Know him in truth, but it's also to know him in power. Verse 10, he resumes where he left off because he repeats this, that I may know him. That's what we've been talking about. But then he adds two other things that knowing him involves. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Your English translations are very good, so I'm not putting those down at all. But in the original, it's interesting because he actually says his goal is to know three things. You don't see that in the ESV at least. It's to know him, Jesus, and then I think he restates it in two ways. And to know the power of his resurrection 
and to know the sharing of his sufferings. To know those three things. To know the power of his resurrection and sharing of his sufferings is to know Christ. Again, when we say knowing Christ is everything, you shouldn't in your mind think that we're minimizing the Christian life down to a little nugget and as long as you do that one thing, you're good. Whatever you do with the rest of your life, that's up to you. No. (laughs) No, 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 no. That is not true. Because when Paul thinks of knowing Christ, it's with a passion that drives him, as we'll see next week, that drives him always to be striving in his holiness, in becoming like Christ, in suffering with Christ as he shares the gospel with others and travels to new frontiers to bring them the gospel. That's an active Christian life. He's not sitting on an easy chair. And to him, that's a core part of knowing Christ. It's not the essence, doing Christian things. But if you know Christ, this is part of what your life will be. There's no way around it. It's knowing the power of his resurrection, sharing his sufferings. There are a lot of tangled up that's, that I may, that this may, that and may lead to this, this leads to this. We're not going to go deep into the grammar of it because that clock says I don't have enough time to do that. So if we just back up for a second and say, what in essence is Paul saying here? He is saying to know Christ is to know him in power. Not in a weak, limp, handshake kind of a way. This is a powerful experience. Again, there's the double focus Share his sufferings now, resurrection later, but it's about power. Here's the point. If you were to look at Paul's life in the ancient world as a common Jewish or Roman citizen, you wouldn't think his life was characterized by power most of the time. Sometimes when he heals someone. Most of the time, people were hitting him with sticks, you know, and that doesn't make you look very powerful. Most of the time, he was being driven out of a city or let down in a basket, running from one place to another. Most of the time, he's being stoned by his countrymen and left for dead. Most of the time, he's shipwrecked and out at sea trying to survive on the salt water. Most of the time, he's hungry and he's thirsty. He has nowhere to live. He doesn't have a savings account. He doesn't have a lot of money. He doesn't have nice clothes. He doesn't have a lot of honor. Most people in his country hate him. And even within the church, he's got all of these trials that he calls a burden on his own soul. So if you were to look at Paul's life, and he says, knowing Christ is great. <laughs> if you just looked at his life, say, if that's knowing Christ, well, I don't know if I want to know Christ if that's knowing Christ. It's just weakness and failure after failure. So Paul presents this passage to show you, this is what knowing Christ means. It means your whole world gets flipped upside down. And you begin to look very weak in the world's eyes. You begin to look like a failure. Because if you count all the goals of the world, money, power, prestige, as rubbish, so that you may know Christ, and if you suffer the loss of those things, you failed, as far as the world's concerned. So you're going to look very weak. You're not going to look like a winner. And yet Paul is saying here, when that happens... You go, I want to know Christ, but you go on in your Christian life and you go, is it worth it? It's so hard. It complicates so many things to know Christ. Is it worth it? Paul is trying to prepare you for that. 
say, it's worth it. But you have to think differently about what you're counting rubbish. He says that knowing Christ for him is about knowing the power of the resurrection. Something he experiences right now, God's power at work in him, but especially later. So you're going to look like you're losing now. And your body decays day after day. You feel me? That's happening every day. You're not always automatically healed by God, contrary to what some popular preachers say. It just doesn't happen. So you're going to think, is it worth it to know Christ? He's not even healing me. Paul is saying, I want to know the power of his resurrection. We're resurrection people. That's what we're living for. That's why it's okay if we die. That's okay. I mean, we don't want to do that. But if it happens, it's going to happen anyways. If somebody kills us for Christ's sake, don't like the pain of it. But that's okay because the power of his resurrection, that's what it is to know Christ. And so if at present we're suffering for Christ's sake, if persecution intensifies or you experience at your workplace or school or what have you, if that intensifies, then you are sharing in the suffering of Christ. That is a different way of looking at it. It's not just you becoming unpopular. It is that. But it's not just that. It's you becoming unpopular just like Jesus. It's sharing his suffering. You're not atoning for anyone's sins, but just like he suffered, you suffer for him. And when you looked at Jesus on the cross, he looked like a failure, didn't he? Everyone thought he was. But because of the power of his resurrection, he proved this is not failure. The suffering Jesus experienced wasn't failure. It was the very thing that brought victory. The suffering you experience as a Christian it's not failure. You have to hear that because you're going to think it is. If God doesn't intervene and fix all your problems, and if you get even more problems for following Christ, that's not failure. Brothers and sisters, that's success. That's probably success. And the devil really not liking it, and the world not knowing you because it did not know Christ, and hostily responding. And you have to be ready for that, or you're going to believe them when they say you're just a hypocritical, bigoted, evil homophobic, terrible person, and you're going to believe it unless you're ready for that. And you receive that as a privilege to share the sufferings of Christ. And if it becomes physical, that's okay, because you know the power of the resurrection. You have to have a cross now of some kind if you're planning to have a crown later. It was that way with Jesus. It has to be with you. Here's Romans 8, 17. Paul says, we're fellow heirs with Christ, but here's a caveat. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Listen to what the Bible calls Paul's encouragement to the churches. Quote, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Repeat that to yourself, and repeat that to yourself, and then repeat that to yourself. If you look like a failure in the world, you're probably succeeding. When you are weak, Paul says, then you're strong. Not before. When you are weak, then you are strong. Jesus warned, if everyone speaks well of you, beware. Paul says, all who want to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And listen, that's fine. Stop being afraid of that. That's okay. 
that's okay. You hear that? Because you know Christ. So if you suffer, it's a part of knowing Christ. It unites him, he says, to the death of Christ. It brings me into closer uniformity with Jesus himself. That's why you count it all joy when you suffer. If everyone hates you, you're not failing, you're succeeding. That's good. That by any means possible, Paul says, I may attain the resurrection. That's not uncertainty of him, like, will I? That's him setting an example for you. Listen. The things you're afraid of, maybe culturally or in your own life or in your workplace as you think about sharing the gospel with others or living the Christian life or making hard decisions for Christ, don't be afraid of those anymore. (laughs) Easy to say, I know. But that's what Paul's saying. It's rubbish, garbage. You can leave everything else. Do you know Christ? If you know Christ, then just wait a short little while and then you'll be with him in glory. You suffer with him now and then glory. That's what it means to know Christ. We attain to the resurrection from the dead. So whatever it requires of you, and it requires something of you, know Christ. If it costs you your comforts, they're trash. Know Christ. If it's going to cost you close relationships that you have with friends, with someone you're dating, if it's going to cost you that, it's trash. You know Christ. If knowing Christ and living fully for Him is going to cost you the respect of all your classmates, it's trash. Know Christ. That's treasure. If it's going to cost you your relationships with your own family, who maybe are from a different religious background or think you're too extreme or something, if it's going to cost you that, right now you determine in your mind, that's trash. Know Christ. If it's going to cost you becoming a missionary in a dangerous place and bringing the gospel and perhaps dying, then just know Christ. That's okay. If it's going to cost you the respect of your peers in this culture as it continues in the direction that it's continuing, if it's going to cost you your property, your prestige, and possibly imprisonment, if it's going to cost you that, don't think twice. Get ready right now. It's trash. Know Christ. Because this is eternal life. Not your car, not your house, not your nice relationships, not your clothes, not your savings account, not your coming promotion. None of that. That's not knowing. That's not eternal life. No. That's stuff that moth and rust destroys. This is eternal life. If you know God and you know Jesus whom he sent. So know Christ. Let's pray. Lord, please help us. We believe and help our unbelief. Help us to heed the words given so long ago. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If others don't want to, that's for them. That's their decision, not ours. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And come hell or high water, in an earthly sense, we go on knowing you. Because that's our treasure. Please give us this resolution, especially now and especially today, that we might be distinguished from the rest of the world that's very afraid of what could happen. Help us not to be that. Help us to have a confidence that goes beyond mortal life. The power of the resurrection of our Lord. And knowing Him in that way, help us to live with a confidence That is a sign of destruction to others who do not believe, but to us of salvation and that from you. 
Help us, Lord, whatever else we may do with our life or not do, help us to truly and genuinely know your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.